1: Welcome everybody back to the PHLY Sixers podcast. We've got a full house this time. As I'm joined by Kyle Newbeck and Rich Hoffman, my two beautiful co-hosts. How are you guys doing?
2: Beautiful. Uh, we just trying here, to be nice. We sat here during the pre-show hearing. There needed to be less of Rich and less of Derek. And you know, I I don't know about beautiful, but it's always good to see you guys. Take a compliment, Kyle. Yeah, I'm doing well, man.
0: I uh, I'm excited to talk about not the the six or not the Phillies or the Eagles. We're gonna have to. Uh, give the Sixers people their fix today and uh <laughs> yep I, I actually think this is a good topic though because I do think a lot of people are down on Daryl Morey right now and I get it it's been a rough off season I'm still a believer though and uh kind of want to talk about why
1: yeah so as Rich said the t- main topic of today's show will be about Daryl Morey we'll briefly discuss a sh- a straw poll of executives from Tim Bontemps over at ESPN didn't have a whole lot of love for the Sixers Before we do that, just a reminder to like and subscribe on YouTube because I'm sick of Kyle. I'm so sick of Kyle. It's been two and a half weeks and I can't stand him anymore, so I'm trying to get him (laughs) off my back. Hit that subscribe button just to save me from a little bit of hassle. Also, we do have an audio-only podcast if that's what you prefer. I know I myself do a lot of driving, so I listen to a lot of audio podcasts. Search for PHLY6ers on your podcast player of choice.
2: I will say, Derek, I wasn't going to give you grief today. I'm in a pretty good mood to start the morning because a neighbor of mine gave me essentially a random act of kindness to start the day. had a really heavy box show up at my front door. I'm on my way out to come to work, obviously. And I was like, there's no way I can get this in myself. Guy walking by just says, here, I can help you get that in. Brought it in with me and, you know. Away with my day, I went. So I'm, you, I'm, well, in, I'm in good spirits today. Whoever I would that say. neighbor
1: is, I appreciate you. Shout let's out to Barry. In, That's what I was saying. Let's say. send Barry a gift package because <laughs> he gave me a little bit less cyberbullying to deal with here. <laughs> I, um, and if I mean, quite honestly, I'm wearing a Phillies hat because of, of what happened last night. Kyle gave me some grief for not wearing an e- any Eagles paraphernalia yesterday, so I didn't want Kyle to bully me again. So most of this show will be about Kyle bullying no, me.
2: No, oh, I, I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> you, I didn't. I missed the memo. There's a lot of people wearing the. The maroon and white today it's a good hat Eric. Okay?
1: good job yeah, i like it i like it all right so uh, as we mentioned there was a straw poll on espn our good friend timmy bontemps timmy straw poll uh pulled 15 executives timmy asking Stroopole. timmy straw like asking uh, various <laughs> questions uh, including who will be the best player in the league in five years the mvp this year where lillard and harden will start the season I guess we'll start off, because we are going to lead into Daryl Moore. We'll save that one sort of for the end because it's a natural transition. Best player in five years, Embiid got zero votes. Does that surprise you at all? No. I think probably not because these, what, 28, right? It's kind of. That list is littered with young players, Doncic and Edwards with six and three each. That makes sense. Even Jokic, who I think almost everyone would agree is best player in the league right now, or at least one of the two along, along with Giannis, Jokic got two votes. Giannis didn't get any. So it's a very heavily slanted towards the young up-and-coming players. MVP votes for this year. Embiid got zero out of the 15 votes. Jokic led the way with nine. Giannis was second. Giannis and Tatum tied second for two. That one, I think, probably surprised some people. But when you look at it, go with the superstar on a team that's going to win a lot of games, I don't think most people expect the Sixers to win as many games this year, if for no other reason than the uncertainty around Harden. I
2: would say I'm not surprised at all that Jokic was in this straw poll, the runaway favorite, because if, if I were going to put money down today, I think this is the clear cut apology MVP is coming for Jokic. I think there are a lot of people who look, they were split on their votes up until kind of the last, let's say, month and a half month of the season last year. And Joel had not won one yet. Jokic being a three-straight MVP guy would have been setting some historical precedent. Last guy who had achieved that was Larry Bird, and people backed away from it. And then the playoffs come around, and it's like, okay, this guy has now planted his flag and said, I'm the best player in the NBA, and I'm a title-driving player. And I think because of the circumstances surrounding last year's Regular season MVP, him climbing the mountaintop now, he has that case as I'm, I'm number one in the entire league. I think there's going to be a backlash is probably the wrong way to phrase it, but there's going to be a snapback or a rubber band effect in the other way. And I think Jokic is going to come out of the gate as I think the obvious favorite for MVP. I'm kind of sick of
0: the MVP. Like I, I kind <laughs> of
2: hope, hope Joe has a great year.
0: But he's just never in the conversation for it. So we just don't have to care about it because yeah. it's just people voting and it's people campaigning against each other than people being outraged about yeah. people campaigning against each other. Ah, it's just too much. I, I just I don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, it would just be nice if Joe is the same player or obviously hopefully better in the playoffs. But, you know, roughly as good as he has been over these past three years. And he's just not in the conversation anymore because of the fatigue of him winning last year and people saying, yeah, you're done.
1: No, that, I mean, I was happy that he won that MVP in part because, like, it meant something to Joe. I'm happy he got it and, ha- and happy because we don't really have to worry about it too much anymore. Like, there's not this great injustice. He got his MVP. We can focus on just winning a title. And I I'd say that with us being, like, being able to focus, not him, because I don't think, you know, I, we, we talked about this a lot last year. A lot of what goes into winning a title also goes into being the best player in the league. There's really not, like, you're not focused on one or the other. I think it's a forced debate sometimes. But is he gonna win? Don't really care, and I don't think he should be anywhere near the front runner because he's just not gonna win enough games unless Harden comes back. And and, and even then, I think Jokic is still far and away the favorite. So who cares? It,
0: it would be funny if he led the Sixers to like fifty-seven wins or fifty-six wins, and it was just out of control. And the debate raged on again
2: because Jokic yeah. obviously is gonna average twenty-eight. 28- we can never 10, escape eight. it, so I think that's exactly what's yeah. going to happen. No, he's just just going torture 20, <laughs> it, He's going to have 28,
0: 10, and seven on, you know, sixty-eight percent shooting from the field or something like that. So it just it will continue to get heightened. I think that would be pretty
2: funny. I will say this: if if I'm trying to bet on or predict a, a maybe out a little bit of an outside the box guy for MVP, I think Shea Gilgis Alexander that this is the year that. I mean, he was the top five finisher last year. I think the Thunder now, with a little more experience under their belt, they win some more games. Shea has another, you know, 30-point-per-game type season, stays healthy. I think he's he's the, the young guy that I could see, like, all right, this yeah. might be the the dark horse guy I would put my money on.
1: Yeah, because outside of, of him, like, there's a lot of players, you know, like Doncic, where – you don't know how many games like if there's one team that has a lot of variability it's that team they might just not win enough games for him to really matter they certainly didn't last year yeah he might end up being like the best player or one of the three best players but he's not going to win enough games to get the warrant Tatum I feel like there might be a little bit of fatigue but because they have maybe a higher upside I guess he's still a very legitimate candidate and Giannis there's probably just a little bit of fatigue and especially coming off of a year where they won a million regular season games and inflamed out he's sort of like in a, in a camp where Embiid is where it's like all right But show me that your team, who did just win a title, so it's a little different. But I think he's going to have to have a a truly exceptional regular season to surpass Jokic. And I would be surprised.
0: One quick thing on the best player in five years thing. I don't think Joe is going to be the best player in five years. But I do think he has a chance to be in that top. He probably has a better chance to be in that top tier of players than I think people give him credit for. You know, And I understand the injuries are, are a big deal with him. But the athleticism to me is not a huge deal with him. That dude is so big and so skilled that he's not getting any worse as a like like a skill level. He's certainly not getting any shorter or stronger or anything like that. Yeah, he's gonna get a little bit slower. His reactions are gonna get, you know, probably about half a step slower, those type of things as he ages. But I think he's gonna age well. Now, obviously, it's gotta stay healthy, but I would you know, he, he's been pretty healthy in the regular season. Yeah. He has avoided the catastrophic injury to this point, and uh I think, fine, he's not, he's probably not going to be the best player in five years, but the idea that he'd be a top ten player in five years, I don't think that's crazy yeah. at all.
2: I, I think to your point, the guy that he constantly got compared to, maybe not as much anymore, Hakeem Olajuwon, he comes out of Houston, and I mean, incredible athlete. He's smaller than Joe is. He's probably like more of a 6'10 center than a seven-foot or 7'1 type guy like Joe is. But I think if you if you talk to the guys who played with Hakeem, as he got, I don't want to say less athletic, but as he gets older and he's, you know, less bouncy, all of that, he became a better player because the game slows down for him and he knows: all right, I'm gonna chase this block or this play in this defensive sequence and not this one and, and picking and choosing your battles and beating guys to spots and things like that. And Joe with a size advantage over Hakeem, he can do the, if he can do those things and master the mental side of the game, I absolutely agree like he's going to be an impactful defensive guy for forever and because of, you know, the touch from mid-range and if he can ever be a consistent three-point shooter all that even when he's not as, you know, physically imposing as he is now, he has the skill set that he can be an impactful guy until basically he decides to hang it up all right three
1: more topics from that poll and then we'll move on to the main topic of today's show where Lillard will start the season nine picked Portland six Miami of note this was before sort of like the Toronto reporting came out so I think that influences or it, not the report came out but the um, questions were asked to executives before that report came out Harden 13 pick that he will start the season 13 the out of 15 13 out of to 15 yep uh, and then the worst offseason, nobody picked the Sixers to win the East. I don't think that stuns any of us. Worst offseason, Raptors five executives picked, 76ers four, Heat two. I don't think any of that is surprising that those three teams are also directly sort of handheld by the trade requests, but it is what it is. Any of those surprise you or any real thoughts on any of those?
2: No. So I think, look, so that essentially is NBA executives saying the Sixers had the second worst offseason in the aggregate. And I think that speaks to something we've talked about a lot, which is they're a team that is at least a trade away from. It's a, they're either a trade away or a James Harden recommitting to the team away from being whole, right? Like the team doesn't really make sense on paper as it sits right now with Harden either not playing or no trade return coming back. If you move Harden and you get a couple, two to three role players, or you get some sort of creation star or sub-star, guy below that level maybe ascending, then everything starts to come together a little bit. But it's a team that is in need of more chess moves and more activity, and it's been in this kind of weird stasis because I think Daryl Morey's position is that, well, I'm not trading James Harden for a crappy return. And so he would rather sit here and deal with the uncomfortability that they're dealing with right now than just say, all right, it's over and done with. And now we have a team full of expirings and role players and yeah. Joel.
0: I, I actually looked at Timmy B's straw poll from last year. I know as Derek called him, Timmy straw poll. He does these, he does very, these a lot, yeah. very consistently. And by the way, I,
1: I like them. And we got a comment in the chat from Neil. I do like these exec straw polls because it's just good to know. Now, part of the problem is you don't know exactly like how high up these execs are. Um, but I also trust Tim to – Tim knows a lot a of people and talks yep. to
2: a, a, a big spectrum of people around the league. It's, and a, so. it's a
1: good representative sample. I believe that. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I find these valuable and good. I like these two where people are kind of
0: voting on either yes or no questions or kind of these multiple choice questions because I do think there is a fine line. Some of those anonymous scout and exec pieces, some of the quotes are pretty wild. And I think in some ways that's cool, right? You just want unvarnished opinions, but it's also like... Okay, is this guy like the the eighth scout for the Los Angeles
1: Clippers? Like, and he's just completely trash. And you can Joel always find Embiid?
2: a scout who will yeah. confirm your opinion if yeah, you want to. Yeah, it goes
1: to. to. I mean, Sean Heiken was talking about this yesterday because there was a lot of chatter coming out. Um, from Miami about Hero being valued as much as, uh, you know, OG or Siakam or whoever, and it's like, well, you can find a scout that will agree with anything you want to print if you have a wide enough network base.
0: For sure. But, but like, look, they're fun to read, and on the other hand of that, the the other side of that coin is, I want unvarnished opinions, right? I want yeah. people, uh, if they feel strongly about something one way or another, to just tell me what they're thinking. It would be boring if they didn't do that. So, I looked at Timmy B's straw poll last year. Sixers came in second for best off season last year, which I think was... Kind of the consensus, right? I think everybody thought they did really well for the resources that they had. This year, they're on the other side of that coin. I think Daryl Morey might say, "Yeah, you know, like let's wait until April to kind of decide how that happens." But look, we're we're gonna talk about it right now. So we're
2: we'll gonna have to go to a break before we're we going. transition into that. a little late, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm here to tell you guys about our good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. We are back again with another week of football and DraftKings keeping us in on the NFL action. Great offers every single game day. And new customers can bet five dollars, get two hundred instantly in bonus bets, throw five down on any of the coming week's epic matchups, walk away an instant winner. I know who I'm picking in Eagles versus Commanders, the Josh Harris bowl this upcoming week. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. And football is more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now. Sign up with code PHLY. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PHLY. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, Licensee Partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, in Louisiana, 21 plus, age rise by jurisdiction, Void in Ontario. See sportsbookdraftkingscom slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after or issuance, eligibility, and deposit restrictions apply.
0: Good, good question in the chat. Do you think Josh Harris will be at the Josh Harris Bowl?
2: I actually asked Derek the same question, I think it was either yesterday or he Monday. he has to be, doesn't he? He has to show face. Yeah. You can't, if you own a team in Philadelphia and you own the commanders and the two teams play, you can't be like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm stepping away from this one. I think people are already mad and have lost respect for him in some ways. This is at least like... Invite the booze and, you know, do the David Stern <laughs> ear cup. I don't think Josh is built that way. I don't think he'll quite no. react in that way. Nobody's but, built that way. But, yeah, David I, I think I think he certainly has to show up and show face at the very least. Yeah, I mean, he'll show up to the, the same
0: sports complex. He hopes his basketball team is not playing in, you know, 2030 or 2031, <laughs> uh, whenever that is. The uh, Yeah, I, it is so funny, though, that just – He has owned a rival team of a Philadelphia sports team for what a decade now. When did he buy the Devils? 2013. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Even Nyota, the Devils are good. I was kind of reading Charlie's stuff or whatever. Charlie was like, "Yeah, I mean, it's it's a preseason game, but they they're a lot better. (laughs) There's a reason they won six nothing. Uh, But man, you mess with the birds, it's uh, it turns into a different level of scrutiny, all those things, and maybe rightfully so. That's that's the way it is here."
1: All right, so the main question of the pod, has Daryl Morey's tenure been good for the Sixers? I guess where would you, like, when you start to answer that question, where does your mind first go? Like, how do you approach even answering that?
2: I think you have to start with the biggest stuff, right? Like, we can get down to the nitty-gritty of, oh, he plucked Paul Reed out of the second yep. round, or he traded Tony Bradley in second-round picks for George Hill. and. <laughs> You can go through each individual transaction, right? But ultimately, what a GM is measured by are what are your biggest hits and what are your biggest misses? And yeah. I think you have to start with the Harden for Simmons exchange and it's, where we come out on that.
1: It's sort of like in school, like a homework assignment, if you 1% of your grade, a quiz might be 5%. And then you got 30% for the midterm and 50% for the final. And it's, being a GM is very much like that. And there's really two moves of major consequence for the Sixers. One drafting Tyrese Maxey, big part of it. It came barely after he was hired, but it was during his tenure. And then two, the trade for James Harden. And there's no way to like that will drive the majority of people's opinions. That will drive the majority of how you view the future of the franchise. It's just it is what it is. All right. So what's the
0: uh, what's the letter grade we are giving the the Harden trade? Let's say Uh-oh. not just say not just the Harden trade, but the you get the Ben Simmons shit sandwich. In, in what, June 2021, whenever that was, up until February 2022 when you make that trade.
1: What are you giving them? Come on. See, a lot of this depends on what the other options were. Like, do you believe that they could have gotten Halliburton? Because that would be a, like, all of the angst that we have as a core, as a title window, as all of that goes away if they get Halliburton instead of, of Simmons. I, so I'm going to push back gonna on that. I'm going to say I don't think, I don't, I'm not... I don't know for sure. I'm not convinced that the Kings were interested in Ben Simmons.
2: Where I'm going to push back is I don't think they're in long term. Yes, they're in a different position. If it's Tyrese Halliburton on the roster instead of James Harden. I don't think what we've seen from Tyrese Halliburton up to this point suggests that if he was on the roster instead of James Harden. No, I don't think their present title. circumstances yeah, yeah, yeah. are any different. they weren't beating Boston. They weren't gonna beat Miami in the second round a year before. And so I don't like in terms of the general mood around the team, maybe it's slightly better because people say, okay, there's hope. Tyrese is ascending, he's just on team USA. You have the Tyrese, Tyrese backcourt. And if you have Halliburton here, I know Maxi is like the sacred cow that nobody can touch or talk about right now. That's, right. That's more of a okay maybe they can flip Maxi sure. into this wing or this four who makes more sense with whatever it is, a closer to a star level guy rather than Tyrese. You can't really trade at this point unless you are going fully all in where in a Tyrese Halliburton situation, you can kind of straddle the middle ground and continue to build because Halliburton and Joel Is still like that's a 50 to 55 win team in the regular season and you have some runway ahead of you and frankly I think let's just assume the Kings are interested in that deal I think you're also not giving up first round picks or maybe as many first round picks as they did to make that happen because Halliburton at that point is still a bit of an unknown and you know have to prove it rather than Harden who's former MVP and had played at when he was healthy a top five MVP level in Brooklyn the year before. So it's interesting.
1: See, but that's sort of like my point. I don't think it changes what has happened over the last two years, at least not for sure. But I think a lot of where people are at right now isn't just that they haven't gotten out of the second round. Let's, let's, certainly part of it, don't get me wrong, but it's that there's so little runway that you feel boxed in and desperate. And if you had someone young like Halliburton to build around Embiid, you could be more aggressive maybe in something like Dame where, yeah, he might, you know, he might age out of being a superstar, but you still have that two-man core. I think it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's, I think people feel box in. I think that's part of it for sure. Well, I'm, looking at, I'm looking in the chat.
0: Halliburton plays
1: defense. He does not play defense.
2: Halliburton is a horrible defender because if he played any defense, Indiana would not suck on defense. That's he, a real not, bad he, defense. Is, he
0: is a terrific yeah. young player. He plays no defense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and I do want to say there are people saying, oh, he averaged the same numbers on a worse team in Indiana. Yeah, that's the point. He hasn't won jack shit since coming to the, with Tyrese Halliburton as a driving force for your team. There is no proof that you can win games right now. Now, Tyrese Halliburton as a number two to Joel Embiid, sure. But the whole point of trading Ben Simmons in a James Harden-type deal is that, okay, James Harden can do a lot of the running the offense, and I'm going to take over for stretches of the game. Tyrese is a good player and a guy who can get you, you know, 20 points, he doesn't. He can't just turn it on and say, "I'm gonna go out and score 40." No, like I, Joe's having a tough night. I agree, and
1: but like, a, a, at least a big part of, of where I am frustrated with is this, the franchise is because you don't know what's like. You you don't have a pathway towards maintaining relevance around Joel Embiid.
2: I, yeah, I, I I get it. The long-term stuff I get. All I'm saying is that. Trading for Halliburton had, would have had, in my mind, zero impact on whether you're getting out of the second round or not over not, the last two years. Well, that's that's all it comes down to.
0: It's just that the the standard we are holding hard into is... Can he get them a championship? And Tyrese Halliburton has never played to that standard. You know, it turns into, oh, well, Harden doesn't play defense in the playoffs. Harden shrinks in these games in the playoffs. Well, like, that's hard when you're playing against Jalen Brown. You have to actually get
2: to the fucking playoffs. Like, sorry, like, this guy has (laughs) never been there. He was just in the Olympics on a loaded Team USA. Like, even if it's a C team, Team USA, they're by far the most talented team at any given World Cup, Olympics, whatever. They couldn't even win a fucking sil- bronze medal at the FIBA World Cup. He's, like, one of their best players. I don't know. Like, what's the argument here? What has this guy proven that he can drive winning in any kind of postseason playoff environment? I don't I, – like, I love Tyrese Halliburton. I hate that now I'm getting boxed into this. Uh,
1: I don't know why you're just – you're looking at it only <laughs> through the lens of, like, well, can he win a title now? Because that's not the lens I'm looking at it at all.
2: Well, that's what people are mad about, though, right? Yeah. That's it. They're not mad. not me. Like, I'm a
1: team. I'm a long-term Sure,
2: you're not. But I'm saying the people at home are, they're mad because they have not gotten past the second round. It's all sure. I hear. Wake me up when they get out of the second round. Wake me up when they get out of the second round. Wake me up when Tyrese Halliburton plays in a playoff game.
1: Here's what I'll say. I think <laughs> I think there's, a, if they had not advanced past the second round, I think Embiid would probably be bearing more of the blunt. They'd be more disappointed in Embiid. Whereas right now it's both Embiid and hopelessness. Yeah.
2: And look, I'm certainly not a James Harden defender. He's got the years and years of the playoff loser energy. Sure. The game six and seven, as I wrote at the time, were absolutely disgraceful. You can't sit here Well, he won the two games for him, and that's absolutely true. He has that ceiling. But as we've seen in the past, his floor in the playoffs has been more significant for James and his teams than, you know, what he can do on his best night. So,
0: so look. I agree. Like, And I would have made the hardened swing over Halliburton at the time just because of what he had shown in Brooklyn, all of those things. And, and look, when Tyrese Halliburton, when he finally gets put in that playoff crucible, we'll see. That defense is going to be put to the test. Can he create in the half court? That is going to be put to the test. Like Indiana and Sacramento, they have just run up and down the floor when he has played. And I think as we have learned over the past six years in Philadelphia, playoff basketball is a lot different than <laughs> the uh, the regular season. Okay. All that said, it would be a lot better if he was on the team instead of James Harden right 100%. now. A hundred percent, I hundred percent agree. And I think when it comes to Daryl, you do have to judge like, okay, he waited out the Ben Simmons situation, and I think made a good trade for James Harden. But you also have to be prepared for what happens in a couple of years when. James Harden wants to get paid and James Harden gets older and James Harden uses the basketball as a weapon, you know, five times a game when he's going to the basket. <laughs> those things like that and Daryl Morey above everybody had knowledge of that. Like he had firsthand knowledge of you know, his off-court habits, all of those things as well. So that's where I kind of look at like that trade to me feels like C-plus, B-minus, probably B-minus, B. B. I'm I'm being a little hard on him because I I do think, like, Ben Simmons put them in one of the worst spots ever. So to get out of that and have a normal basketball team over the past couple of years is a good thing. But what is happening now, he he does bear a little bit of the the blame here. He he did have to see that
1: coming. So I guess... Why don't you go do your your second ad read because we're on that and because I feel like what we're gonna start doing is gonna be a long... Well, long I do want to touch on Ben yeah. when we come back, but first
2: I'm gonna tell you guys about our good friends at game time. Obviously, if you want to go see if James Harden is at the arena this year or you know causing a, a stink on, on the Wells Fargo Center floor, or you know more realistically, you want to go see Tyrese Maxey and it's the last minute and you want to go see his development play out. Game time is the place that at the last minute you can go and get tickets for an affordable price and have them sent to your phone instantly. Browse through the Game Time app and there are flash deals, last-minute tickets, images of your seat views, a low price guarantee, you have event cancellation pr- protection, and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. You could be in the parking lot of the Wells Fargo Center, two taps, you're set. Tickets get sent directly to your phone. Never have to dig through your email to find them. And it's that easy. You just walk right through the doors and probably load up on some adult beverages to make you forget about all the the Sixers circus that's happening on the floor. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account. Use code PHLY for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. So, you guys brought it up, but the biggest component of the Simmons trade is simply getting off of Simmons before the entire NBA has now figured out this guy is cooked, essentially. It's a big deal. Physically which is what Simmons, is. Simmons and his camp have played up the most, the mental side of it, which we certainly saw how that played out in the playoff series against Atlanta a few years ago now. And if they had held on to him and he had played, just think about, think about a scenario where Ben comes to camp that year and actually decides he's going to play with the team and is able to play. And people see that he goes from... You know, like a sixteen eight and eight guy, I think is generally what he was around when he was at his best, to a six, four, and four guy, which is what he was in Brooklyn. You go from okay, this guy is an interesting lottery ticket to bet on to he is an albatross that we cannot get off of the team, and that is a that's almost if not bigger than who was coming back from him is getting off of that before the music stopped, essentially.
1: Yeah, so I guess the other part of the Ben thing is not trading him the year before at the deadline, whether that be for Harden or any other package that might be out there. I remember at the time, and and one of the components that goes into this, at the time, I would have said, look, if it took Tyrese Maxey to get James Harden, I would have done that at at that point. James Harden at that point was a, a MVP, at least a fringe MVP candidate, as he would show in Brooklyn. Sometimes the moves you get credit for are the ones you don't make, and not including Maxi there. While well, you lost out on one more run with maybe a healthier James Harden, although he would go on to get that what was it, hamstring, hamstring injury yeah. uh, that season, but you would have had one more run with Harden, one more full season where he wasn't joining you in you know midway through or two thirds of the way through. But you would have lost Tyrese Maxi, and I think at that point I didn't give Maxi enough credit. He still hadn't shown that he could be an elite shooter as he has become. So I give him some credit for not making the move that I thought was a pretty much a no-brainer. So I do give him some credit for that. We we talk
0: about the trade deadlines too. I mean, I think Maxi was rumored in that first trade deadline, yeah. you know, whether it was with Ben, you know, Kyle Lowry remember was the a Kyle big The Kyle Lowry
2: one was the big one.
0: That was a big year. Now, how did those talks actually go? I think Masayu Jiri's history says like he probably was shooting for the moon with uh, with that one. But look, like at the time I was like, this team is probably a little bit short of a championship, but they're really good in a lot of aspects. You're going to get the number one seed. You might as well go for it. I think at that point, Maxi, like Derek said, like he had not shown a ton to me yet, and I was you know, kind of more focused on this season. So holding on to Maxi has been a great thing. Like There's just no question about that. Um, now, where does it get them moving forward? I don't know. But I, I, again, like some of the moves he hasn't made, and, and I think drafting Tyrese Maxi 20th, that buys you a lot of goodwill. Just yeah, those.
1: I will say, I almost give him more we're credit 30, for not trading Maxi than I give him for uh, drafting him in the first place. Because that was, what was it, he on the job for, like, two or three weeks? Like, I don't think he necessarily had... I'm not going to say he didn't have input in that decision, but I think a lot of that was driven by the people who were already there doing the work on the scouting. But he gets credit. I'm just not sure how much credit to truly give him.
2: I don't know. He was the GM yeah, of the team, wasn't he? Yeah. He
1: was. He was.
2: Yeah, and look, I, I will say... If we're, try, if we're being Derek over here and trying to pick it apart, I do think that he was the very obvious, oh, he's a highly regarded guy who's falling. That sure. wasn't like, he didn't pick some obscure dude out of Lithuania or something. That was blue chip prospect from Kentucky who you know, maybe had not shown as much as many Kentucky players don't under Cal there. And now that he's been given a real opportunity, but again, you still have to make the pick it doesn't it, if you're just being a contact hitter you're still hitting the single you're hitting the double and i think you know tyrese was a triple if not a the home run oh absolutely at, at 21 so. for
1: sure and I, I remember going back to it, rich and i on the podcast at the time we didn't even really talk about tyrese because we didn't think there was any chance he was going to be there
0: i thought he was going to fall but like look pat riley whiffed on him a bunch of people in those yeah. teens you know whiffed on him and took worse players so i, I do think you deserve some credit there um I guess, what do, you, what do you think of these trade deadlines, like where, where they were at the end of the season? I mean, I remember the George Hill, what was that for? Like four second-round picks or something that like was that?
2: No, just two. No, it was four. It was four? Four second-round picks. I, I actually have the trade right in front of me as we speak. So they traded Tony Bradley Jr. and two second-round picks to the Thunder, and then they traded salary and two second-round picks to the Knicks because Brazdikas was included in that deal. And, you know, what a what a career he had. Whenever and you have a up, chance yeah.
1: to uh, to have another Iggy on the team, you got to it.
2: Yeah, think. now, look, it was a conditional second to the Knicks that, that turned into pick number 58, who they used to draft Jericho Sims, who, you know, has had a decent career so far. The next one is a 2024 conditional front, or a protected from Miami, which that's probably, you know, not super valuable. But it's less about these picks being valuable than it is. It's just a chip to move. Yeah. Like we've seen over the last year, especially at the deadline, guys were getting flipped. Like Sadiq Bay was getting traded for, what was it, like five second round picks. And so they have become the currency of maybe the the fringe-ish or rotation young guy that somebody doesn't want to pay. You're going to flip a bunch of second round picks for him. And the Sixers, prior to that shift happening – Unloaded a bunch of them for George Hill, who basically did absolutely nothing yeah. during his Sixers tenure. No, he was bad.
0: The, the funny thing about George Hill was, I thought like, okay, this is like a decent middle ground. It obviously would have been better than going after Kyle Lowry, I think. Um, but man, it was just a pumpkin. It just didn't work. He was not. Good. He didn't play most of the time. <laughs> he, was, he was hurt. And then the other thing was, I remember there was a game against Atlanta. I believe the Sixers won this one. It was Game Three. George Hill went out there, and he ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. Like, yeah. he was supposed to be Mr. Stability Veteran Guy. Yeah. He gave you a Jonah Bolden stretch for, like,
1: four minutes. I was like, has this guy ever played in a playoff game before? And he just wouldn't shoot either. It was a oh, very frustrating, it was that a frustrating was, experience. It's like the that was, whole
0: reason he's there, too. <laughs> that was a bad one, and I, uh, yeah, look, I think you're absolutely right, Kyle. And I think that uh, the idea of just unloading all these picks, like – the, what was the first thing he did when he came here he unloads horford but he attached a, he attached a pretty good pick to him a, a real
2: yeah that's a real asset yeah but you
1: had to get off of that contract like that move ha- I, honestly when we if you go back to it i bet you you thought it was going to cost more than one pick to get off of Horford. Like i would was... agree
2: but so it's the difference between how you evaluate it at the time versus how we evaluate it in hindsight right at the time it's like get Al Horford the hell off of this team. He's making Joel's life miserable. He's not helping the bench units with Ben enough to justify, you're going to keep paying this guy the amount of money he's making over the short to medium term. But then you see him in Boston and contributing to a Team that makes the finals and makes a conference final. Right, but he
1: was never going to look like that here. He was never going to have a chance agree, to rehabilitate all, his value.
2: So he on was team. traded under the idea that this also, guy's cooked. He spent a year
1: in the back of the tank in uh, OK. So like, he I'm, was never going to look like that. I here.
2: understand this. All I'm saying is people look at it now and say, you traded this guy under the pretext that he's washed and we need to move him clearly was not. Now, that year away in Oklahoma City that's essentially a sabbatical in the middle of his career, that helped a lot. He was not getting a sabbatical in Philadelphia, and that was not going to be a thing that happens here. But to, for him to go on and not only be a contributor on a finals team, but a guy who once again gives Joel problems in a high-stakes playoff series, that you do have to reevaluate the trade somewhat. And I'm not saying that I bo- I was 100 percent on board with it at the time. They get a real contributor in Danny Green who fits with the team, but I you can't just be like, well, hand wave it away. It's what I thought at the time. We have to go back and say Horford's better or and had a longer, you know, end of his career than right. I thought he would.
1: Long winded Kyle, calm down for one second. <laughs> L- let me just ask you one question. If they keep him, bring him into the trade deadline next season, do they get more? Does it cost more or less to get off of that contract? It's impossible to know that. I well, don't but know. That, that's the decision you have to make as a GM. Sure. I think it costs the same, if not more. I don't think all that you're talking about of him not being watched, he wasn't going to show that if he stayed on the roster, they had to move him when they did.
2: Well, it's, it's also tough to go back to that point because I would say half the fan base is not accurate, but a giant chunk of the fan base at that time was on the trade Joel over trade Ben... Camp. It was the Ben and Shooters. There, there were people who said, and I, I fought back against that loudly. I'm, and
0: I'm not got, giving Daryl credit for that. Anybody who yeah, runs no. an NBA team should have known.
2: Yeah, that and there the were a right. lot of smart media people or people who I thought were smart yep. who had had the same belief. So it was a really weird situation. I understand why they felt they needed to get off Horford. I still, again, at the time, I was 100 percent on board with what they did. All I'm saying is that you look back at it now, and it's like they gave up a real pick, or a real trade chip, anyway, and Horford went on to fuck with them personally. It sure. that hurts.
0: I think like, Al Horford is just... This, this franchise is kryptonite in just a million years. <laughs> like he's,
1: he's going to <laughs> sabotage salva- the the yep. them from within.
0: He's going to beat the hell out of them from, from outside. Yeah, he's just... He's always going to be this very annoying Sixers figure. Frankly, I'm going to be honest. I think he should get
2: booed a lot harder when it comes yeah. to Philadelphia. There's was, not enough rage for he him. Was yeah. and when he was terrible. That's part of was it too. Here. Like if he
1: came back for another year, he wasn't going to try. He, you you weren't horrible. getting the playoff Boston Al Horford, he was not going to try. He wanted off that team. And then he comes back to Boston and he's pump faking Joel and yeah. dunking on him and those things. Like,
0: where was that effort here? I understand the fit was terrible, but we say it all on, the time. Man. That
2: guy was stealing money stealing when it. he was in Philadelphia. Just yeah. absolute disgrace. So I, I do And think that was not on Mori He certainly did not sign him to that deal. That's before his time.
1: I do think that portion of the Mori era you know, with getting off of Richardson, with, with getting off of Horford, with getting Maxi, I think that was a very good start.
2: Oh, this I mean, the Richardson for Seth Curry trade, absolute slam yeah. dunk. Like That was an unbelievable deal. I,
1: I thought the way he set up that
0: first team on that night. Now, we can talk about whether the price was too much to get rid of Horford, but just the setup of getting Seth and Danny for, uh, for Al and Josh— that team won a ton of games that year. They were really good. Now, you're going to say COVID year, all those things. But, you know, Were they going to win anything in the playoffs? Well, no, they weren't going to win anything in the playoffs. But that was Ben Simmons' fault for the Correct. most part. So maybe Doc Rivers fault a little bit also. We can talk about that too. A lot of people don't like Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers was already here
1: before Daryl Morey yeah. got here. So Just the strangest freaking organization ever. They can't <laughs> even get the order of operations right. It's no. so weird. It's so weird. All right, so I guess we'll get into sort of the coach, because I think that's a portion of, or maybe enabling the coach, I think that's a portion of this discussion. Before we do that, a quick word from Foco. Kyle, do you want to do this now or midway through and distract me? Foco is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. You're seeing it now. We're all wearing Eagles or Philly stuff in a set at times. You want to get your gear, too. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms, and we, with us now squarely in football se- and tailgating season, it means it's time for overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game.
2: Speaking of, I saw some Phillies overalls in the Did clubhouse you? celebration last night that I believe they are available okay. on FOCO. They got but, the Drew Stubbs overalls? <laughs> I, it's a, I, I think so.
1: Can we can we get you two in here in overalls?
2: <laughs> that I don't know about Foco all that.
1: FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. Foco always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY for 10% off.
0: So the coach. Get, you, getting my fat ass in overalls. That feels like a fantasy football There's no chance. Or something that's like that has nothing to do with
1: overalls. It has to do with me. <laughs> the coach. You mentioned that he was hired before. Maury. That's absolutely true. I don't think Maury could have walked in and be like, we're changing coaches after two weeks. That's just not getting Josh to sign off and that probably not going to happen. He had $6 billion he had to spend elsewhere. (laughs) But, you know, there is a little bit like, I attribute the backup center a lot to Doc and getting sort of players that will placate Doc or Doc will play. I give Maury, like, Maury's indifference towards a backup center that can play defense for two playoff runs. And look, he'll push back only playing 10 minutes a game, only a minimum salary, you let Doc play to his worst instincts and that did annoy the ever-living hell out of me.
2: Yeah, that's one where I don't fully know the internal politics behind some of these decisions. I care it, I'm sorry. Sorry. It yeah, is very obvious that having a coach and a GM who are on the same page at all times will help an organization. And it was not always clear that Doc and Daryl were seeing things eye to eye. I think they said all the right things. I think there was an effort made by both parties to sort of bridge whatever gap was there between them. But when you see, you know, DeAndre Jordan as the backup center in a playoff game or long stretches of the regular season or Trez. Now, the only thing I would say on Trez is that I think that's a a James... Yeah. A James-heavy decision as well, and you always have to factor. Which Doc was very eager to let yes, us know. Yes, obviously yeah. Doc is happy to throw his players under the bus for decisions <laughs> that are unpopular. But I do think there's elements of that we have to consider. But that being said, Daryl, as the guy overseeing everything in the organization, has to know, if you acquire a DeAndre Jordan-type player, play him. Doc is yep. going to play that guy. And so that I absolutely put on Daryl. How big of a you know consideration that is weighed against the hardened trade, maxi drafts, et cetera, it's certainly not as important as those things. But those little decisions add up over time. The George Hill, those type of decisions, they add up over time.
0: Well, well you go back to 2021. I think a lot of people kind of put this on the back burner a little bit, but... You know, one of the things we were saying at the trade deadline was like, hey, Dwight is a good regular season player. Like, look, they're winning a lot of games. He rebounds. He throws some hard fouls. He cracks us up when they're up by 25 points because he does something ridiculous with the frosty freeze-out. But it's like, can you play another way in the playoffs? Like, can you figure out how to get more of a stretch big because you have Ben Simmons on your team? Yeah. And predictably, so they they don't get anybody, and predictably, the Dwight-Ben minutes in the playoffs were awful. Absolute disaster. Awful. So... Again, I think that's another another little knock against him.
2: Josh asks, where's Greg Oden at? Can we expect an appearance from him soon? I mean, look, could always add another center to this roster. <laughs> Can't hurt at this point. Greg Oden is coaching at Butler, I believe. There's a good story about good that. Good for him, man. We Actually, Derek and I talked about him recently, about him in the, yep. the 07 championship game against Florida where – they were doomed. That Florida team was always going to win, but he went out there. I think he had like 25 and 11 or something, which college game. That's pretty damn good.
1: I will say thank goodness for Paul Reed for developing because we can put, oh, yeah. this, uh, put this conversation to bed a little bit. And they have done pretty well with their late draft picks. And I'm including Maxi. That's a late draft pick in my book. So the fact that they devalue them so much is a little bit annoying. You understand that they're trying to use those as trade chips. But it would be nice to make one or two other second-round picks. Uh, including in that draft, Isaiah Joe was a second-round pick in that Tyrese Maxi deal. I give him a lot of grief for cutting him. I don't think they should have done that. Uh, and I was on the record at the time. I think there's a tweet out there. Max Rappaport can probably dig it I up. I have a
2: screenshot of it where, where I
1: said he would be their starting two-guard. Missed a little bit on that one. My point is to say <laughs> that's I was, why
2: you're mad. Your prediction went awry. I,
1: I, to be clear, like I was probably closer <laughs> than a lot of people thought. Yeah. But I wasn't right on that. That's not why I'm bringing it up. My point is I was always on the Isaiah Joe should have gotten more run here bandwagon. Uh, so I, I give Doc a little not well. I give Doc a lot of blame for that. They're a little bit too. How much of the angst? And, and by
0: the way, the chat has been very lively today, which has been great. Even when you're calling us stupid and apologists, I appreciate it. This has been. <laughs> we appreciate
1: a, every one of you for tuning in, even the ones who are assholes.
0: You are you're passionate, and this has kind of been a subject that's kind of pe- people have strong opinions about. Here's a question for you guys: How much of the angst do you think is because of kind of the unsatisfactory nature of this off And and I say unsatisfactory because like he could have given James Harden the bag and i think in terms of rocking the boat that wouldn't have mattered like yeah. you wouldn't be seeing that like that would they, have been the easiest path they would be in training camp and harden would be happy and and there wouldn't be i mean that those level of bad vibes but he is You'd be screwed decided to take the yeah. path of like okay like i i have a year to play with here and that would screw us for the future so we're kind of going to have to take our medicine for for this, these couple months. I wonder how much of the angst is based on that, where a lot of it. I Look, I I think what he's doing, even though it's not perfect with the free agent class next off season, I I agree with not giving James Harden the bag. So, you know, I kind of wonder like if if that changes, are people paying as much attention to this? I don't know.
1: I would say, you know, I think the only way to avoid sort of where they're at right now was to give Harden a contract that I would hate. And so in terms of what happens, the only way to really prevent that is to give that bad contract or not trade for James Harden. So, you know, in terms of what he's done this off season and look, they have had a bad off season, but I'm not sure there was an avoidable path, which again, probably goes back to, well, could Daryl have predicted this? Could he have predicted that his finishing around the rim would get worse, especially after that Achilles injury? Could he have predicted that he would react this way to not getting the full max contract? Probably. So a lot of the evaluation of the hardened trade goes back to what other options were out there.
2: It's sort of like when the Eagles go for it on a fourth down and everyone's <laughs> really supportive of them being aggressive. Until they don't get it. And then they yeah. get stopped, and it's like, well, don't do it that way. It's, that you have so to true. actually provide, provide a alternative that they could have done. Right? I'm one of those people, too. Man. Oh, I'm 100%. The other night when they went for it on fourth down early in that game, Kenny I like, Gainwell, like, the hell was area? that play? So I, I 100% get it. But I think, to the point you guys are making, I think if they traded James Harden tomorrow, the mood in the fan base is lifted by 20%. Now, 20% is not getting you all the second round baggage, all the anger at Joel for injuries and struggles in the second round, so on and so forth. But I do think a big part of the dissatisfaction right now is like a lot of the comments that we're seeing today they're old, they're unathletic, it's a lot of one year guys. And look, we can sit here and say the long term planning makes sense. And they're setting themselves up for summer of 2024 or trade deadline. You have flexibility to make trades and make moves. But that being said, people do want to buy into teams that they believe have hope and a future and a long term. And right now, all they're selling is. Well, this year it just kinda is what it is and we're gonna figure out the rest later. That's just that's not an appealing thing for people who are already pissed off that they haven't done more with the, you know, three, four, five seasons that we just went through. Yep. And I- th- and look,
0: I'm seeing a lot of comments in the chat, like wh- where is is this Joel's fault uh, ever? And I think the answer to that is yeah, a little of bit course, it is. Yeah. And you know, going into last season, I kind of thought Daryl did his job. Like, okay, did the PJ Tucker signing actually turn out that well? Yeah. Yeah. Debatable. I, I think PJ was a, a very limited player. Now, did he have a couple okay moments in the playoffs that we're looking back on fondly? If they win game six, if Joel and Harden get them over that level. So I I think there is also an element of, of, you know, like he did his job. He gave them a pretty good team. And those guys didn't quite get them over the hump. And I do think some of that blame has to go back on them. Now, you know, did Dan House and Tucker turn out to be star signings? No, but,
1: you know, a little bit goes on Joe here. Yeah, and look, he inherited a team with, you know, maybe – the two worst fits in a league on big contracts in Richardson and Horford with Ben Simmons, who is about to completely combust. And are things perfect? No, but I think there's, it would have been tough to make things perfect, right? A lot of this comes down to the fact that they haven't progressed, and I get that. But the decisions themselves, I think basically what I'm saying is I think he's probably done like a B-minus job, but because of how much... The Harden situation is clouding things. It's viewed as a D. And a B- might be a little high, but a D is probably a little low. I think there was a lot working against the Sixers that would have made it tough to be completely confident at this point.
2: Yeah, I want to stay on that rich point about Joel and the amount of blame he gets. I mean, coming out of that Game 5... I think we probably all felt at the time like this is the breakthrough, right? Yeah. We're, we're in the media room prior to game six saying that was the most composed professional performance the Sixers have had in round two in the time that we've been covering the team and in one of the best ones in our lifetimes, quite frankly, because there haven't been a lot of good Sixers teams to even talk about, think about. To win in that fashion, you know, Tyrese had a very good game in that game five. Joel had a – it was not his best game, but it's like a 30-point, maybe 11 for 23. Really good defensive outing. That was a whole roster win. The whole team, you're looking at it like it the, – finally, the vision is coming together. Joel is making that leap as a leader, all that stuff. And for it all to come unraveled in games six and seven, we can say De'Anthony Melton didn't make shots, Tobias didn't do this, James melted down like he has 100 different times in the playoffs. Ultimately, you have the fucking MVP of the league on your team, and even if he's hurt, I, I understand the caveats are there, He did not show up the way he needed to to push them into the conference finals and, frankly, has not done so and has been the common thread between all those teams across the board. So while, yes, I don't think that he was individually to blame for a bunch of these second-round exits, you have to, yes, I torched that guy after that series, and I think he deserved to be.
1: And to your point, like, and I I just listed, you know, all the the maybe time bombs or or landmines that were in the Sixers' path from when Maury took over. I didn't even mention the five-year, $180 million man, Tobias Harris, who's been really hamstringing them with his contracts. Yes. And that just shows like, where Tobias Harris is and, and, and that contract. Like, we don't even mention it. And it was a real sickening point in terms of team building to have inherited that. And then you're also your star player just not execute. Like, where were they going to win a championship if Joel Embiid doesn't drive them to it? And I think a lot of the angst comes from the fact that that hasn't happened. So, yeah, I certainly think – and this Harden situation is freaking annoying. But I think a lot of the angst comes from Joel Embiid not being who we need him to be and who we hoped he would be. And that does cloud a little bit the – not only the grade, but just the overall feeling of the team. They need him to be the MVP in the playoffs as well. And if that doesn't happen, I don't really care what Daryl Morey does. Like, they're not not winning a title. Yeah. I do –
0: Kyle made the right point, though. If he trades Harden – it's one of those where I think a lot of the fan base says, "Great trade. Who do we get back?"
1: Yeah. What was that? Was it the Von Hayes? Was that where that came I, from? I forget. But. It might have been Von Hayes. But yeah, it, look, that's,
2: it's the feeling of sameness. It's here we go again. And they got after going through the Ben Simmons situation, where Ben is holding the team hostage to a certain extent, and Maury, I guess, rightfully at the time, the one thing I, he absolutely did right in that scenario was just wait right instead of trading him for you trade him for like cj mccollum they're certainly not a higher ceiling and i think people are even more hopeless they're winning less games in the regular season that's a a whole different path getting harden was better than that and holding on for that was good but i think the fan base now having lived through oh joe's got to get them to like the deadline, so they can make the trade that makes them a real team, or hopefully makes them a real contender. I get why people want to check out on that and say, "Yeah, I'll I'll come back after the Eagles are done, the Phillies playoff run is over." I I can feel that. I understand that. But look, Nick Nurse is here. They have Tyrese. They have some oh, yeah. some things of hope to hold on to, and whatever issues they have as a contending team. Joe will make them win a lot of regular season games, base level.
0: It's, the, when you get back to Mori too, you, you mentioned the best thing he did was wait, and I think a lot of people would agree with you on the first time, but they don't think back to, you know, January 15th, Joel scores 45 points, and everybody's saying, get this guy some help, this would be malpractice, yeah. practice, not to get him. So it's obviously not fun going through one of those situations, and the thing with Daryl Maury – is. You can say whatever you want about him. He does not care. Like, he is just going to wait again until he thinks he can get the best deal. That's not appetizing for people to do a second, you know, a second trip through that, uh, that level of slop. I understand that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we've got a comment. This all stems back from Josh Harris. I think Ed is 100% right. Like, the fact that they fucked up for so long, put, and look, people are going to call me a Maury apologist, whatever. The fact that they screwed up with all those assets meant that Daryl Morey needed to do an A in order to get them to where they need to be. If it's a B minus or even a C, it's just not gonna be good enough because they just they spent five years just completely burning every asset they could possibly have. Daryl Morey didn't
2: trade Mikhail Bridges for Zaire Smith and a pick that they eventually flipped for Tobias Harris before they eventually signed Tobias Harris to a one hundred and eighty million dollar contract that hamstrung the team financially like that that's all things that he inherited now as we keep pointing out he did inherit Joel Embiid who that's the most important thing here right but all the other surrounding context matters if he has a more complete team a team with less blanks that need to be filled in you're not having to take risks on you know James Harden coming off a hamstring injury and you can flip Ben for a young ascending guy. If if Tyrese Halliburton joins the team that has Maxie and Mikhail Bridges and Joel Embiid and other guys they realistically could have had, not like, oh, they could have drafted Giannis in 2013, but they could have had a guy they just straight up drafted under a previous regime and kept that guy and not traded for Tobias, and not done this. We're not even having this conversation. So, yes, he has not been perfect. I would tend to agree it's probably more of in the B-minus, C-plus type range, depending on how charitable you want to be. But there are a lot of mistakes that were made prior to him even sitting in that chair.
1: And I also think he's avoided some of the mistakes that could have been completely crippling. Of those, trading Tyrese Maxey or giving James Harden this contract. I was freaking terrified of betting on a 34-year-old James Harden for the next three to four years. Like, that could have been a death sentence to the franchise. I, you know, I do give, and look, when he was hired, we went, oh, shit, he's got these James Harden blinders. What are we getting ourselves into? The fact that he, and look, you don't want to give, it's weird giving people credit for not making mistakes, but there were a lot of different ways they could have gone, which maybe would have made this year better, which would have made the, the next three just a complete disaster, and they haven't completely done that yet.
0: It's, it's a weird thing where I could just say his track record, I think, is really good. I think he's well-respected around the league. People who don't care about this specific situation quite as much as we do, having to talk about it, having to live about it, or live through it every single day. Um, I, I just believe in him, and I agree with you, Derek. As unsatisfactory as this offseason has been, I think he's largely making the right decisions. like He's giving me confidence that he's got a little bit more of a long-term view and and not kind of chasing the the path of least resistance here.
1: I would guess he thought, all right, let's trade for James Harden, maybe get three playoff runs out of him, and then see what Embiid and Maxi can try to carry us to. And I think that's still largely where they are. And it's probably, and again, a lot of it goes back to what other options were there with James Harden? And that's going to be tough to find out now because there's no team that's going to admit behind closed doors, oh, yeah, we were really all in on Ben Simmons. Like, they're just not going to admit to that right now. So unless you can really get definitive proof, and that's probably why we started this whole debate on the Halliburton thing, because that's the one that was out there. Unless you can get definitive proof of that, it's hard to really grade that specific James Harden trade without knowing the alternatives. Yep.
2: So, I mean, look, they're. I can feel the angst that is just jumping off the screen. Yep, this has been a great topic. The, yeah. Yeah. The the commenters obvious like look, this is what we've been hearing on social all summer. When I see people out at, you know, in the city who you know know our work who are like, what the hell are these guys doing? blah, blah, blah. I get it, man. Like nobody wants to root for a team that's stuck in the same spot over and over and over again. And as we discussed plenty throughout this podcast doesn't have a lot of realistic paths out of it and doesn't frankly currently have a lot of upside on the roster. That's the other thing. Like I have belief or small bits of belief in guys like Quavion Smith and Springer that, you know, that's at least like a little bit something a little bit different, something new. It feels fresh. And you have the head coach, but like, are those guys the difference between beating Boston in round two or beating Milwaukee in round two? I would say in 99% of the time, no, it's going to be on what are the big moves, who are the big players. And one of their big players is saying that Daryl Morey's a liar. And I guess that's, I would close on this on the Morey front. If one of his, if one, his guiding belief is stars drive titles, it's a stars at all costs league and his relationship with one of his two main stars has completely crumbled that's a thing that we should criticize him for more uh, like get away from the transactions this is his guy that he has you know like a decade long relationship with for him for whatever reason you know they've explained it away as they didn't want to get in trouble for tampering after last off season and so on and so forth like I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> what the explanation has been you don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah. agree with it for whatever reason that it has crumbled it has crumbled and that is at his feet And it's his job right now to figure it the hell out because as it stands right now, there is no trade that's out there that they deem suitable. So now it's your responsibility. Get him on the floor and wanting to play for your team, period. Yeah, completely agree. uh,
0: The main thing I blame him for is not seeing down the road with how he felt about Harden and how Harden would react if he did not feel as strongly as kind of the Houston days, the the hug coming off the plane, all of those things, if that changed. And, you know, that, that is what they are dealing with right now. And you're right. It's his responsibility above everything.
1: I also think like the whole, like, oh, man, James Harden really loves, like, Daryl Morey and Tad Brown. Like, not to say that there probably wasn't a connection there, but, like, the connection was, oh, Daryl Morey put him in a spot where he can make a freaking ton of money. And in- essentially do whatever he right. wanted on the floor, too. Well, when he's no longer getting that complete bag and he's only getting a partial bag and he's not getting full control of a team like it deteriorating i don't think is necessarily a huge surprise you hope that there was enough goodwill built between them that it wouldn't get to this but i think james harden once he entered this phase of his his career and he wasn't being the centerpiece and he wasn't getting the maxes it was always going to be probably a little problematic
0: but but it goes back to he should have predicted that he should have known that right i put everything around this guy in houston to make him the mvp and kind of build the organization around him and like you said let him do whatever he wanted well, that wasn't going to be the case when he's 34 years yep. old.
1: All right. All right. I think it's probably just about all we have. We have a lot of active chatter in the comments. Great to see. Again, we really do appreciate each and every one of you that drop in there, even if you disagree with us. That's why it's a great debate.
2: Yeah, I love being called a, <laughs> an apologist and it's gonna all happen, that good man. stuff. It's but thank happen. you to so I've much. I've been called to... so
1: much worse on Twitter, and I still <laughs> go on there. So thank you both of you for jumping on and uh go phil's
2: yeah go well bird. thank you i see sam i see ray i see tn i see ed i see all kinds of people here thank you guys so much hit that thumbs up button on the way out subscribe to the channel and gentlemen i'll see you again tomorrow yeah let's do it <laughs> we
1: all like the mayor